Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Now, I wanna, I'm talking about stories because I want to propose stories of the lens through which we view the world. We can all remember a story, a book, something we've heard that's captivated our hearts and made us think, and I wish that were true. Now, I read stories with my three kids all the time, and we read children's Bibles. And my oldest daughter, Lydia, she loved the story Cain and Abel. And so once we're at a friend's place, and I heard Lydia say to Hudson, okay, let's play Cain and Abel. I'll be Cain, you'll be Abel. <laughs> and if you know anything about the Cain and Abel story, my son Hudson definitely got the more end of the universe. He was killed, right? Um, Cain kills Abel. And what my daughter is demonstrating is the desire to see ourselves as part of a greater story. And it's not just children who have the tendency to view their world through the lens of the stories, Lydia. Adults do too. We see this in the popularity of the superhero movies that come through DC or Marvel. They're stories that captivate our imagination and our desire. But why are stories so powerful? Well, we all look to stories to give meaning and purpose to our lives. In the book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl described his horrifying experience of being in the Nazi concentration camps. And he found those who survived the longest in the camps were not those who were physically strong, but it was those who had meaning. And he famously said, those who have a why to live can bear with almost anyhow. A guy called Paul Zak did his research on the link between stories and emotions and found that stories that engage in our emotions increase a brain hormone called oxytocin. And the result is it leads us feeling more compassionate, more empathetic, more generous towards the people in the story. In this way, stories capture our hearts. And a psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, did his research and found that stories and emotions generally play a much larger role in our decisions than our thinking. Emotions play a larger role than our thinking in our decisions. Now imagine a small a picture of a small man riding on top of an elephant. The rider represents our rational, logical self, our thinking. And the elephant represents our intuition, our gut feeling our instinct. Now imagine a grandmother, your grandmother, for example, screws up her nose at a sex scene on her TV. The elephant leans, the rider on top barely reacts at all. He doesn't need to. The elephant has already leaned. And what hate demonstrated that if you want to change someone's mind, it's more important to appeal to their emotional elephant than the intellectual rider on top. And he said our emotional intuitions, our gut reactions can be placed on a spectrum. The left of the spectrum focuses on the individual, their safety, their right to be treated fairly and equally. 
and the right focuses on the community, helping them bind together and feel safe. And the key is that both sides are necessary and important. However, most of our society have been trained to lean our elephant to the left. And so when asked, for example, should homosexuals get married? The gut reaction for most people is, is anyone getting hurt, oppressed, being unfairly treated? If not, who am I to judge? And do you see, people are largely ignoring questions about authority. What has our society always believed about this and why? They ignore questions like, am I endangering the lives of anyone? Ignoring the impact of that situation might have on the children involved. People have been uh, actually leaning more towards, more because of their emotions than their thinking. Who am I? Well, what is your initial reaction to that question? Who am I? Do you think in terms of your hobby, your personality, your achievements, or your background? The answer to that question reveals your identity, what you believe is your identity. And for the last 1,500 years, it's been the story of the Bible that has answered the question, who am I? However, today we live in an age of selfies and the you-do-you you mentality, a time when identity has recently been voted word of the year, a time when there's nothing more important, our society says, than allowing people to identify themselves in whatever way they seem fit. And whenever someone question someone's identity, we run into big trouble. Over the last 20 years, people have laid tripwires all over our society. Every now and then, someone steps on one of these tripwires and the cancel culture blows them up, right? And the rest of the crowd gets the message. Don't trip there or the same thing will happen to you. And such tripwires include, if you're a bigot, homophobe, a sexist, a misogynist, a racist, a transphobe, just for starters. So if you want to avoid the tripwires, then you need to ally yourself with the people who are, who are promoting this new story. Generally, it's the LGBT movement, and you need to become an enemy or against the church or any other group that represents the old way of thinking. Let me give you some examples. A few years ago, a boy from my old youth group named Tom step on one of those trip wires when he refused to wear purple on wear a purple day. And they labeled him a homophobe and they threatened to throw eggs at him. Trip wires are even being laid in primary schools. A friend of mine has a daughter in primary school in the city. The whole class was told to stand on one side of the room if they agreed with same-sex marriage. My friend's daughter stood alone on the other side of the room. Even those who were Christians went with the rest of the group out of fear. Standing there alone, she was called a homophobe, and she was 10 years old. Now, maybe you've felt like this before. Chat to the person next to you. Have you ever felt like you've been in a situation like that? I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
what is the secular identity? It's define yourself by looking within. That means no one has the right to question or challenge how each of us chooses to define ourselves. If we're free to define our own identity, then it will be not being bound by the old, outdated, constricting, binary, male, female understanding of gender. Okay, so that's the secular identity. The secular story also has a secular hero. If we find ourselves by looking within, then we are the hero of the secular story, especially when we have the courage to follow our paths and resist anyone or anything that stands in our way. For example, Caitlin, formerly Bruce Jenner, tweeted after she came out, I'm so happy after such a long struggle to be living my true self. And she was praised for being a hero. It has a hero. The secular story also has a secular view of the body. If it's only who you are inside that matters, then it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. In, in other words, our body is like Lego. It doesn't matter what you do with the pieces. If our biology doesn't fit with our feelings, the right thing to do is to change our bodies just as we change restrictive, uncomfortable clothes for new outfits that make us feel good. So, which way does your elephant lean? Because our story has changed, our imagination has been transformed so that how we feel and perceive the world is different. Do you ever find yourself leaning towards the secular story? That the most important thing is to follow your dreams. Which way does your elephant lean? So, there's been a big change. How did we get here? Because it hasn't always been like this. In the last 50 years, there's been a radical change at every level of society. And there are some key ideas that have shaped our huge societal change that we've experienced. And each of these has caused us to take a step away from God's story in the Bible. And I'm going to run through them really quickly. Ready? First is Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Which taught a long time ago, you can find yourself by looking within. Is that how your elephant leans? Two, relativism. Which has taught there's no such thing as objective truth. You make your own truth. Is that how your elephant leans? Utilitarianism, that's a big word, utilitarianism. It's on your booklets. Which taught the right action is the one that makes the most people happy. Is that how your elephant leans? Then there was the sexual revolution. Which taught that freedom of sexual expression is more important than tradition. It taught we need to be restricted, um, when to liberate it from that restrictive, restrictive view that sex belongs in marriage. Is that how your elephant leans? And then there's something called third wave feminism. Now, first wave feminism was a good thing. It gave women the right to vote. But feminism has changed a lot since then. Third wave feminism teaches gender is not fixed, but fluid. Is that how your elephant leans? And finally, the LGBT movement, the 1990s to today. It has fought hard to normalise the acceptance of the homosexual and transgender identity and lifestyle. And this is actually outlined in the book, After the Fall, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. 
And a, a key way they tried to normalise the acceptance of homosexual and transgender lifestyle was to use the media to make homosexuality and that lifestyle look positive. Now, just stop for a second and think of the last few TV shows or movies you watched on Netflix or whatever other platform. I guarantee that a large number of them had someone who identified as a homosexual and that generally they were portrayed positively. Now, don't get me wrong. People who struggle with same-sex attraction can be lovely people. They can even be Christian. It's the way that they're promoting the lifestyle that is we're being bombarded with. Did any of these ideas I've discussed affect how your elephant leans? Well, I want to give you an example of how the power of the secular story can be seen in a short video called Homecoming. It portrays a soldier returning home. And while his fellow soldiers are greeted by their wives, the soldier looks around anxiously until he sees another young man standing, smiling among the waiting wives. As they embrace, he falls to his knees and he pulls out a ring and proposes in marriage. There are no words, just images. And they make you ask the question, the soldier has been fighting to keep you safe and you need to get on his side and support same-sex marriage. Did you feel your elephant begin to lean? It's quite powerful, isn't it? But while it might be, might feel persuasive, the secular story confuses our identity. Now, I don't know if you've seen Alice in Wonderland. It was around when I was young. But in that movie, right after she's tumbled into another world, a caterpillar asks her, Who are you? And Alice's reply, I... I hardly know, sir. Just at present, at least I know that I was what I, who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. I'm not myself, you see. And like Alice, many people today are confused about their identity. Now, a wise person once said, when people don't believe in God, they don't believe in nothing, They believe in anything. And we can see this with the confusion of identity all around us. Check out this video. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, (laughs) yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? (laughs) Really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say... Good for you, like, yeah, be who you are. (laughs) I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh. I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you, no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. If you feel seven at heart, good for you. Did you notice the way people express their approval? It's no longer, I think, the little rider on top. 
It's I feel the emotional elephant underneath. And Facebook recently started allowing users to customise their identity. Male, female or other. The other category listed 71 options. Including bi-gender, transgender, androgynous, transsexual. 71 options. You can be whoever you feel inside. And an employee... An employee of McDonald's, oh, sorry, not McDonald's, of Facebook at the time, and there was a guy at McDonald's too. No, there wasn't. An employee of Facebook at the time said, we want to help users to be their true, authentic selves. You've got 71 options. Recently, I don't know if you saw this, a transgender man identifying as a woman won the NCAA swimming competition competing against biological women. Even though he has the DNA, the bone structure, the lung volume, the muscle mass for both upper and lower body strength of a male. We are in confusing times. But the Christian story, God's story, offers a better solution, a more satisfying solution. As we search for our identity... People are being filled with a sneaking suspicion maybe we're missing something. As C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis is saying there's a better explanation of the world than what the secular story is telling us. So we need to hear God's better story. A long time ago, before Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to God's people who turned away and worshipped false gods. And so Jeremiah says in chapter 2, verse 13, he said, God says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah was telling God's people to turn from their false gods who could not meet their spiritual needs and turn to God, the fountain of living water, who gives life. Fast forward 600 years. In John 4, we see Jesus sits beside Jacob's well in the middle of the day and asks a Samaritan woman for, the, for a drink. Now, Samaritans were morally outcast. I remember in year seven, no, in first grade, sorry, I sat next to a new kid, Philip Ritchie, I looked over at him and I said, Hi, I'm Mike. What's your name? Reasonable request. He turned his face towards me. But what happened next was a bit surprising. Colour drained from his face. And for a moment it was still. Like the calm before a storm. And then like a violent volcano, out gushed this eruption of vomit all over me. You can just imagine what other kids thought of me that day. There's the vomit kid. Parents were probably saying to their kids, make sure you wash your hands after playing with the vomit kid. Well, Jesus was willing to associate with outcasts, like this Samaritan woman. But what we see is that Jesus didn't come to simply clean up her life, clean the vomit off. He came to forgive her and satisfy her deepest longings. Later in verse 16, when asked by Jesus to call her husband, she answered, she had no husband. And Jesus then responds by saying, You are right to say, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, 
And the one that you're with is not your husband. What you have said is true. In saying this, Jesus exposes her sin. She's an adulterer. And she's been seeking satisfaction in sex and relationships. But it was clear that she hadn't found fulfillment or lasting satisfaction. That's why she's had not one but five. But he not only exposes it, he's also come to offer her forgiveness for her sins. In verse 10, we see Christ's mission in associating with this woman. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Here in verse 10, we have that link back to Jeremiah. Like Israel, the Samaritan woman, had forsaken God and had sought satisfaction in poor substitutes that, like a broken well, could not satisfy. Here God is offering, in the person of Jesus, the living water that she had forsaken. But in verse 11 to 12, the woman fails to comprehend who Christ is and therefore what he's offering. So in verse 14, Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Jesus says that he's going to give living water, he's literally promising himself, the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of every human heart. As someone famously said, You have formed us for yourself. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. In Africa, apparently, they serve lukewarm Coke on a hot day. And even though they keep drinking it, guess what? It doesn't satisfy. And this is the same thing as seeking satisfaction in the things of this world. But Jesus offers us so much more. On the cross, Jesus offered us Way more. He said, and he said, I thirst. And then he died for our sins. The fountain of living water thirsted for you, for us, so that our soul may never thirst again. Now imagine a rope stretches on forever. The rope represents your life. This part of this blue part. Represents this life. I'm colorblind. I don't know what color that is. Now, some of you generally only think about that blue part. Oh, what I'm going to do. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to study hard. I'm going to enjoy this part of life right here. But here's the thing. What you do with this little blue part determines how you're going to spend forever and ever. Why would I spend all my life trying to enjoy myself as much as I can to seek the approval of others as much as possible when you've got all of this to look forward to and to worry or to worry about? Instead, focus on this moment right here. Can you see it? When you enter eternity, you only get one chance and then comes eternity. That is how long... Jesus will satisfy our deepest longings eternally. So let's pray we might turn to his story for satisfaction this weekend and for the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. We acknowledge that we've sought to replace you, the fountain of living water, 
for leaky wells that can never satisfy. And yet you promise to satisfy whoever trusts in Christ. Help us to see how lost and ruined we are in trying to place our identity in other things that can never satisfy. Help us to see the preciousness of Jesus our Saviour and the goodness of God's story. Draw our hearts to you and cause us to turn away from our sin, that our soul may never thirst again in this life or the life to come. In Jesus' name, Amen.